Today's podcast is sponsored by Brindle and Twig, Scandinavian-inspired sewing patterns for kids newborn to 6T. Brindle and Twig patterns are almost all unisex, making them a versatile investment for your pattern library. Designed for knit fabrics, the look is clean and modern. The designer and owner of Brindle and Twig, Melissa Hendrickson, has a degree in apparel design, and her patterns are simple and straightforward for all sewists at all levels. Visit brindletwig.com and download the free hoodie pattern to give them a try. Thank you for your sponsorship, Brindle and Twig. And now, on to the show. Welcome to episode 56 of the Walshy Naps podcast. Today, we're talking about making art and craft with my guest, Janine Slatkis. Janine is an artist living in Santa Fe, New Mexico with her husband, Manolo, their two sons, and a rescue puppy named Zorro. She was born in New York, but shortly after, her parents began traveling around South America where she lived in seven different countries and went to several English-speaking schools. She studied architecture in Chile for a couple of years before graduating as a graphic artist in Mexico. Janine works in a variety of media, including watercolor, ink, and pencil. She also sews, embroiders, and loves to hand-carve rubber stamps. She loves birds, flowers, and has been taking photos since she was 15 years old. Janine Slatkis, welcome. Thank you so much, Abby. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I am so excited to talk to you. I have been a fan of your work for many, many years, and it's great to hear. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to hear your voice, and I'm excited to hear more about your story. So What did your parents do when you were growing up that made them travel around South America? Uh, My parents divorced when I was two years old. So they they both moved to different places. So that's how we started traveling because we would go back and forth from one to the other. My dad's work was the reason he was traveling so much. And my mom is just a gypsy at heart, so... She was living here in the U.S., but she was originally from Chile. So one of her brothers from Chile moved to Mexico, and that's why we moved to Mexico when I was two years old, because she wanted to be near her brother. And my dad just moved a lot. He, we lived in Brazil and Argentina with him. We visited a lot of other countries, and my mom would go back and forth from Mexico to Chile and we lived a couple of years here in the U.S. That's why we traveled so much. Okay, so what what was your dad's work? He's always worked with the oil business in the oil industry. And that's why he lived in several different countries in South America. Then were, he, were your parents artistic? Like, did they also do kind of side projects? As Yes. Okay. They are both artistic. My dad is an amazing artist. He doesn't do that full time, but he's very, very good at it. And I do remember seeing his drawings and being awed by how beautiful they were. I remember seeing um, a portrait that he did of his mom in pencil that was amazing it was so realistic 
And he always uh, had stuff to draw with. I remember him having a big drawer with all his rulers and pencils and lots of contraptions to do mechanical in drawings because that's what he did when I was born. And always very artistic, always uh, enjoying architecture and art. And my mom, she's always loved art. She owned a gallery in, in Chile for many years in Viña del Mar. So we grew up always surrounded by art. And you have siblings? I do. I have from the first marriage, I have my sister, Karine, whom uh, we're super close. She lives in the Canary Islands right now, so we don't see each other very often, but we traveled everywhere together when we were little. She was the one constant in my life because uh, we traveled so much, but she was always with me. She's also very artistic. She's more inclined to science, but she knits and she's very crafty. She knits amazing things. And then I have a brother, a half-brother with my mom that lives in Chile. And I don't know, he's not very artistic, but he has his own talents. <laughs> but I would say that I'm the most artistic of, the, of all of us. Uh -huh. I have another two sisters that live in, in the States from my dad. One of them lives in New York and the other one lives in North Carolina. And I, they're very artistic too. They decorate cakes and stuff. That's not what they do for a living, but they're all very artistic. Okay. And um, you are married to, um, I guess I, I don't know how I describe Manolo. He's an architect and builder. Is that the right description? He, yeah, he calls himself a designer more okay. than anything. Okay. But yeah, he is an architect. He builds houses. He's extremely artistic as well. And he draws really well, but he never does, unfortunately. As much as I try to bug him to pick up his sketchbook, it's just he draws um, for architecture so much that he never wants to like sit down and draw something else. Did you meet in architecture school? No, we didn't. We met in Mexico. I had already finished school, but uh, we bonded over architecture a lot at the beginning because we used to look at the same magazines and we had very, very similar tastes in architecture. He builds these incredible modern homes and you live in them while he's building the next one. Is that right? Well, actually, we live in them while we're selling it. Okay. So we usually live in a rental while he's building because we already sold the other one. We've been doing this for 17 years, I think. This is the house we're going to build here in Santa Fe. is going to be the seventh one we've built from scratch. And yeah, when, when he finishes the house, we move in. We finish it while we're still living in it because it's not always completely done. And we've usually lived in them for 
a year and a half or two, not more than two. So as soon as it's really nice and cozy and comfortable, we get rid of it. Oh, gosh. It's like a nomadic lifestyle in the house. It is. The light and the – I mean, I, I'm a, a really big fan of modern architecture. So for me, they just hit the they hit the mark. They're just so incredible. And I would love to have one. And I wonder, does Manolo have a website? I mean, how do people find him to build him, to well, build him in, a house? In, in Mexico, we built – several houses in the same neighborhood so it was just word of mouth and the person that was doing the the real estate agent would recommend Manolo and that's how people contacted contacted him but he's very in tune with the light as you mentioned he knows how to orient the house in order for it to get the best light inside and warmth in the winter and all of that. He's very mindful to where he builds and how he builds it. And that's one of the things that modern architecture can really make the most of because your house doesn't have to be a square, you know, and it doesn't have to be seated on the lot straight on. It can be on the lot sideways or Exactly. And it depends. And it depends so much on the terrain because for example, the last house that we built was in a lot that was in a very steep slope. And also it was full of really old oak trees. I think there was 24 oak trees where we were going to build. So he really thought about it because he knew he had to knock down a couple of trees, but he tried to keep it to the bare minimum. So the house was built surrounding all the trees. Like he would work around the trees. So they got so incorporated into the design that it was really beautiful because it felt like you were living in a treehouse. That's amazing. Oh, yeah, just, it was really cool. I love it. And I love, I mean, one of the things about, I know about this because of watching your photos online. So we get treated to kind of what's <laughs> happening. And I'm seeing. kind of a compulsive photographer. I take so many pictures. I was telling a friend the other day that I could not draw or paint or anything for the rest of my life. Like I could sacrifice that, but I could never sacrifice taking pictures. For me, that's like my basic outlet is photographing. That's interesting. We're going to talk in a little while about social media and Instagram, but I think that that, I'm guessing that that really plays in there. So hold that, hold that thought for me (laughs) because I want to go back to you and your, beginnings as um as an artist and an illustrator so you know you went to school got some uh, classes in architecture graduated with degree in graphic design and how Mm -hmm. did you begin painting with watercolors which I feel like is one of the things that you're most known for is your beautiful watercolors yeah I I never used watercolors before when I was in school never never Even when I was little, I never used watercolors. I was very used to drawing with pencils and colored pencils or uh, markers and, uh, yeah, lots of pencils. But I went to live by myself when I was 25 to a beach in Mexico called Puerto Escondido, just sort of... uh, this is a cliche, but 
to find myself. So I went to Puerto Escondido and spent five months there doing basically nothing but art. I lived as a beach bum for a while. And that's when I started using watercolors. That's when I discovered them. And I absolutely fell in love with them. I love how quick you can do something with them because they dry out so fast. And the gradients, because I was trying to do gradients a lot with my pencils. I had a, a huge box that my dad gave me of Prismacolor, those soft, waxy pencils. Mm -hmm. So I would try and do gradients with those, and they were great. But as soon as I discovered watercolors, I was blown away by it. I just love the, it, that it looks so natural. So that's when I started my first watercolors, and, and I've never stopped. I just fell in love with it, and that's what I stuck with. And you also have certain motifs that appear again and again that are like a signature motif. And one of them is this bird. It's almost like a little sparrow maybe. I'm not really sure what kind of bird that is. It's a small bird, um, like a songbird. And yeah. um, I wondered when you first kind of came to that motif in your work. Like when was the first bird? Ooh, probably around that time when I was living in at the beach in Puerto Escondido, I just there were so many animals living there that I really took my time to observe them. And just the variety of birds that there are just was very inspiring to me. So that's why I picked birds to draw. But at the beginning, it wasn't birds. It was cats, actually. Okay. Because I used to have some cats when I was growing up. And I really like how graphic they look. I don't know. They have been painted so much that I, I just started drawing cats, and that's what I would draw the most. But then I started drawing cats and birds, and then the birds took over. <laughs> <laughs> As they do. Yes, I understand. As they do. Yeah. It's just the, the freedom that you get from painting birds is that you can do almost anything because the variety is so huge, and you can use any color combination you're not restricted by anything with birds, actually. You know, I never thought about that. I've written a book of bird patterns, and I agree oh, with you. Oh, that I love. Yeah, and I agree with you that it's just – there's something about it where you – it's like um, it's got a boundary. Like it's got to have a beak. It's got to have legs and feathers um, and kind of a – you know, some kind of body mass. And then yeah. within that, you can decorate it in any way. The shape can really – be a lot of different things. And also I found that by doing birds for a while, I would get better and better at drawing them. Because when you see birds, they're not, they look easy, but they're really not easy to draw. Like the position of the legs are tricky. So you have to look at them very closely and look at a lot of pictures of birds. So I saw that at the beginning, I wasn't getting it quite right, but as I started practicing and drawing more and more birds, I would really get like a very, um, what do you say? What do you say? Like harmonious mm -hmm. between all its parts. Mm -hmm. And they look just right with the position of the, the legs, which I find is the trickiest part of drawing a bird. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and 
And you began blogging. I feel like you began blogging pretty early on. I remember you being on the scene years and years and years ago. And um, so do you remember the year that you started? I think it was 2005. No, 2008. 2008. Okay. Uh, I started because I was looking on the internet at sketchbook blogs. I, I didn't even know what a blog was, but I started looking. I, I was always looking at art, artistic stuff. And I found Danny Gregory's sketchbook blog. And I really liked it. And I started seeing other people's sketchbooks. And it really got me inspired. Oh, but it was all because of a book that I bought about sketchbooks and I remember it mentioned Danny there so I went online and looked at looked for him okay and he and he mentioned Illustration Friday and that's how I started because I went to Illustration Friday and it was a a website created by Penelope Dullahan that it was a community of people from all over the place from all over the world that would participate in sharing their drawings of a specific word that Illustration Friday would uh, put up every Friday. For example, they would say sun. So everybody had to draw something related to the sun. And then you would have to have a blog to be able to post your picture and then upload a little thumbnail with your link and anybody could see it and you could see everybody else's. It was organized really well and it was so fun to share there that I decided to create my own blog and start posting. It's funny because in 2005 I participated in a similarly organized event online called Month of Softies that was um, organized by Claire Robertson and it was basically similar where she'd give you a theme, you would make something and then post a picture of it, upload it to her site and you could see everybody. So very similar idea Um, and that's also what prompted me to start a blog and also to start making softies. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so I love those, that sort of like early idea that, hey, we're connected now all over the world and so we can make things together. incredible. I remember getting my first comments and I was like, oh my God, somebody saw my blog. (laughs) (laughs) Which is so exciting that nothing is more, nothing is more motivating than that success. Super motivating. Yeah. And and this thing that you had to do it every week was Mm -hmm. great. I remember like opening my eye on Friday and the first thing that I thought was, what is going to be, what's going to be the word of the day? So (laughs) I would usually shout to my kids so they could log on and tell me what the word was because they even participated at the beginning. It was really great yeah. to, and, um, to we, see what they would come up with. We should say that you have two sons. Um, I do. And how old are they now? Israel turned 19 yesterday, which I'm mind blown that he's so old. <laughs> <laughs> and Daniel is going to be 18 in in November. And they're both quite artistic. I know you um, yeah. showca- showcase some of Daniel's drawings frequently online and sell some of them as well, some prints. Yeah, he's amazing. Well, both of them were very, very artistic since they were very young. And since I'm always doing stuff, it's not that I put them, like, set them up so they would draw. They would just draw because I was drawing. 
So they started drawing very early. We started with the huge, chunky crayons, and they also used watercolors and pencils and everything. Daniel is incredibly talented. I think that's what he's going to do for a living. Uh, Israel sort of stopped when he was around 12. He became too critical of his work, and he just got frustrated and stopped drawing. But he's still very talented, but that's not... That's not what he wants to do all the time. And you homeschooled them. I did. That's a big, big job. I know. (laughs) I know. We homeschooled them because we moved so much. We moved around a lot and we just talked about it. And that's what we wanted to do from the beginning. So that's what we did. And I did it with my husband. It wasn't just me. We shared the responsibility. So it was great. And we both worked from home. So it it was great just having them there and didn't miss anything Mm -hmm. from their growing up. Right. Yeah. And also, um, although you moved so often, which is sort of similar to your own childhood of moving so often, you were all together in all of those moves. Exactly. Yeah. So it's been awesome. It's been awesome. Yeah. We were talking about that yesterday with my son and about moving so much and he's like yeah but we've always done the same thing (laughs) and it's true we always do the same thing we're all home we all work from home just in a different place yeah it's a different definition of what is home exactly exactly yeah but it's great though because we can go anywhere and we just adapt very quickly (laughs) right right wherever you're planted Yeah, yeah for sure so you've done some work um for other companies. So, you know, you, you make art that you sell, you know, you, and we'll talk a little bit about that, but I also want to talk mm-hmm. first about the, the work that you've done for others. So, um, you license artwork to Gallison, which is a company uh, that makes like stationary products and so that sort of thing. Um, and I just wondered how that came about and how you, like, what do you enjoy about, about doing that kind of work? Um, I remember the first time that Gallison contacted me because I never pursued doing this, licensing my images. I still never do to this day. I've never promoted my work or sent anything to anyone. It's just been word of mouth, and I think it's great because the people that are interested really like what I do, and it's very flattering, and it's, it's great, actually. So the first time Gallison contacted me, I remember knowing who Gallison was because years, years before I had bought something at the MoMA in New York at the Museum of Modern Art. And it was like an accordion style thing to put little papers in. And it had one of Van Gogh's paintings on it, the almond tree, the one that has the blue background that I adore. And I remember it being from Gallison. So when they wrote to me, I was like jumping up and down all over the place. I couldn't believe they wanted to use my artwork in their stuff. And the beauty of it is that Gallison has such a such a wide distribution of their things. Some readers of mine have found stuff that I've licensed to them in very cool distant places. Yeah. So it's been great. I've had a really good relationship with them for many, many years. 
That's great. And so they give you an assignment or you come to them with, you know, a, a portfolio mm. of ideas or, or, or sort of a mix? Um, at, at the beginning, they were interested in several birds that I had already done. Okay. The, the first series of birds that I did with collage. So the first time we collaborated where I just um, licensed the images that I had. And over the years, we started working on other things that they would commission me to do and work in uh, with a royalty-based and other times with a fixed feed for images that I already had. So it's been a mixed... It's been a mixed... Group. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that sounds like a, a really fortuitous relationship that came about through you posting your artwork on the internet, basically. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and, and posting a lot of it on a regular basis, not just posting one thing. <laughs> that's, that's what I tell everybody. Mm -hmm. You have to be prolific and you have to be constant because mm -hmm. I know how I feel when I follow a blog and they haven't up updated it in, I don't know, in three weeks. I get bored with it. Like I get bored reloading and reloading to find something new. And well, now, now we should talk about blogs because I hear crickets chirping in mine. Yeah, we can, let's, mm. we can come back to, to, I want to talk about your book as yeah. well, but we'll come back. So let's talk about blogs. So, um, I will say for years, um, when people would come to me for blogging advice, um, people who especially weren't super interested in being writers, you know, who didn't want to write a uh, 800 word blog post three times a week. The thought of doing that just made them feel ill. You know, they just yeah, did not want to sit I down would. and do that. Um, I would always say, you don't have to do that. You can post photographs, a photograph of your work or your studio or work in progress or your garden, et cetera. And um, two sentences. And I would refer them to your blog because <laughs> that's what you do. I mean, you well, would yeah. post, you know, maybe three pictures, maybe one, maybe five. And then two or three sentences describing what a little bit about what you would see. And that was your post. And that was every post. And it was an incredibly effective blog for a long, long time. Yeah. Yeah, because I express myself so much better with images than with words. So much better. And sometimes I don't think I didn't want to read a lot in the blogs that I was visiting. I thought that the images would speak for themselves more. Mm -hmm. So I remember it dawned on me when I was doing the illustration Friday, I did it for three years, every single Friday. Wow. That's discipline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but after I think about six months that I was going to the other blogs to see what they were posting for illustration Friday, I started seeing some people share other things. And for me, it was a revelation that I could post not only once a week, my illustration Friday post, but I could start sharing pictures of my house and what I was doing and my life and everything. And when I started doing it, it got really interesting. I think that's when people got more interested in, in visiting my blog than just posting the artwork. Because they got to see, I mean, you live in a somewhat unusual place. That, exactly. It was exotic. And you live in a beautiful home, no matter which home it is. 
So you, and then you also have a really good eye for photography. So you're taking great pictures of all of those Thank things. You like, so much, I think somebody Abby. could live in, in an exotic place in a beautiful home and still have yeah. photos. So. <laughs> I worried a little bit when we moved to the U.S. I'm like, oh no, I'm going to lose that factor of exotic, different place if I move to the U.S. What am I going to do? So did that happen? No, not at all. I think people are... I think I moved to the right place, first of all. This is such a different place from everywhere else in the U.S. You live in Santa Fe. I live in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and it's all adobe construction. Not all of it is, is real adobe, but that's the look that the city has. So, And it's very similar to Mexico. I thought I was going to miss Mexico so much, but this place has a real feel of the old Mexico. So it's been awesome. And I think people are really drawn to the Southwest. Yeah, I think so. It can be, it can be really cheesy because it's so stereotypical, but I think I'm finding like a new, a new way to share it. And it's, it's just the place is so beautiful. I'm blown away by it. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's talk about your relationship with your blog now? Cause it sounded as though you were yeah. <laughs> indicating that maybe it wasn't as healthy as it once was. So, Oh no, it's, it's so completely starving. How, I mean, how are you feeling about it now? Uh, it all started with Instagram. I remember when Instagram started, they started talking about Instagram. I hated it. I was like, why would I go look at crappy photos on an app instead of looking at the beautiful, real photos in the blogs? So at the beginning, I was totally against switching to Instagram. And I was like that for, I think, a year or a little bit more. And then I went to Canada to do a workshop at Buku with my friend Aruna. And I stayed with my friend Margie. Uh, she's she has a blog called Resurrection Fern, and I took my iPad with me on that trip, and that's when I started getting a taste for Instagram. And I really liked how immediate it was that I didn't have to spend hours uh, reformatting my photos and uploading them to Flickr, and then getting the link and putting them in my blog, like work wise, I wasn't investing as much time and it was much more direct. And that's when I started moving more towards Instagram than my blog and also Facebook. Mm -hmm. I mean, the biggest following that I have right now is in Facebook. Yes, so, you have 315,000 followers, Janine. How? How <laughs> did 60, that happen? You have 60,000 followers on Instagram. So so let's just talk a little bit about strategy or not strategy, sort of unstrategy, if that's the case. But when you think about your day on social media, you know, um, or, or even your week, if it's not a daily practice. Um, yeah. What, what does that look like for you? I mean, are you thinking to yourself, I'm going to post every day, I'm going to post at these certain times, or is it much looser where you're out somewhere, you see something beautiful and th- say, okay, that one, yeah, you know, just... how do you, how do you think about social media?
Before Janine answers that question, I want to take a minute to thank Brindle and Twig for sponsoring today's show. Not only will you find a whole selection of really modern and adorable sewing patterns for children at brindletwig.com, but you'll also find a lovely selection of knit fabrics to sew them with. French terry and organic jersey and the cutest prints, perfect for a newborn or toddler outfit. Brindle and Twig also has an active Facebook sew and tell group with over 3,000 members where you can show what you've made, get new ideas and inspiration, and join the Brindle and Twig community. The Brindle and Twig aesthetic reminds me of Hannah Anderson or the tea collection, just lovely and simple. The kinds of outfits you'll reach for again and again, made even better because you can sew them yourself. Thanks for supporting the Walshy Naps podcast, Brindle and Twig. Now back to my chat with Janine. Like for you, I mean, are you thinking to yourself, I'm going to post every day, I'm going to post at these certain times, or is it much looser where you're out somewhere, you see something beautiful and th- say, okay, that one, yeah, you know, it's so just, how do you, how do you think about social media? It's just natural for me. I, the thing that I love most right now about Instagram is that I only post on Instagram and it just uh, posts automatically on Facebook, but it's very informal I don't think about what I'm going to post. I usually worry that I'm posting too much because, as I said before, I'm a very obsessive photographer. But I don't plan anything. It's totally loose. If I don't feel like posting one day, I don't. But I usually have lots of things to share. So how many a day go up on Instagram that then get pushed Mm, out on Facebook? Yeah, I've been posted up to 12, I think, in one day. Okay. And if, I'm, if I'm doing something, like, really interesting. Right. And do you use hashtags or no hashtags? I don't use hashtags. I don't know why. Sometimes maybe I'll use a hashtag, but I haven't caught on yet on why I should hashtag the photo so much. So you don't? You just leave them I as don't. Space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I usually do it if I want to group my photos uh-huh. A, together as a series exactly mm-hmm. exactly and you have recently begun writing all of the captions in both spanish and english and i wonder what motivated it's that. exhausting <laughs> <laughs> it's exhausting i just had so many people ask me to do it like i have a very big group of readers from south america argentina and mexico and they all we're missing out on some of the things that I was posting in, in English only. But I guess for me, English is like the universal internet language. So I wasn't worried about it because I knew anybody could Google sure. any word. But one day I just like thought, you know what? I owe it to them. Like I, I am, Spanish is my native language. It's the language in which I express myself the best. So I really owe it to them for them to hear my voice in Spanish. So I started, uh, I think, a couple of months ago, I started doing the double language posts. But it's helped me so much because as soon as I got here to the U.S., I started speaking English almost all the time. Because in Mexico, I would never speak English. Only when with my dad because he's the one that I speak English to, and I learned speaking English with him because my mom is a native Spanish speaker. So 
just to keep me on my toes. It's been great. I always ask Manolo for advice because I forget stuff. I'm like, how do you say this in Spanish? And he just looks at me like, Janine, you're pathetic. I can't believe <laughs> you. forgot. I can't believe you forgot. <laughs> and then my kids chip in and they tell me the right word to say it in English because they are more current in their slang in English. But it's been fun. It's been fun. It's exhausting. When I finish writing, now that I've been writing more because of Turbo's death, uh, it was exhausting. Because I had. We should say that Turbo was your dog who was very oh, beloved and who recently yes. passed away, and you recently adopted a new dog. But that's been very, a very difficult you know, part of your summer. Yeah. Oh, my God. So hard. That was such a tough blow to us. Turbo was only six years old and he was so ingrained in our lives because we live at home and he was with us all the time. So he was my super best buddy and it was horrible. It was so sudden. He was fine one day and four days later we had to put him down and it was so, so difficult. Yeah. Just being in the house without him was horrifying. So the first few weeks I just... My husband, thankfully, was very compassionate towards me. He saw that I was really suffering, and he was suffering as well. So we spent a lot of time outside of the house, traveling and just doing day trips. But it was really hard. It was I, I remember before getting Turbo, my husband would talk about getting a dog, and I was like, no, 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 no. I remember being a teen and losing my dog, and it was like the worst thing ever. I don't ever want to live through that again. And he's like, but Janine, you know, that's life. You have to accept death with it. And, and he convinced me (laughs) to get turbo. And I'm so thankful because we had the best dog for six years, but it was really, really tough, really, really tough. Yeah, I'm sorry. I I watched it unfold as you posted drawings (sighs) and pictures on social media. Yeah. But Um, I was amazed because the people that follow me have been incredible. Like I never thought I would get such an outpouring of love and compassion. Yeah. And part of that is because you let us see what your life is like to a degree, at least. Obviously not completely, but yeah. We've watched Turbo be with you for years. I know. And I think that that is part of the reason why people react strongly because they, you know, remember, they, they start to feel like they know you and they, they knew yeah. him too. So, yeah. Um, it I want to. rough. Yeah, I, I can imagine. And I'm, I, I, I've um, been a longtime dog owner and, and suffered the loss of some dogs oh, in the past and it's hard. Um, I want to come back, uh, if we can, to talking about your book. Um, so you wrote a book, uh, came out in 2013. It's called Making an Impression, and it was published by Lark. Isn't um, it brilliant? The I, name I thought was, wow. Who came up with that one? They did. Lark did. Nice. They, they pitched it with that name, and I just thought the title was so amazing. 
It, it is, is just a great perfect. Name. Yeah, yeah, I have the book. I've read it cover to oh, cover, thank you. and I use. I have it. yours too. <laughs> thank you. I used uh, <laughs> I used it to teach um, my local artist group how to carve rubber stamps uh, last year. We had a really wonderful night uh, using oh, the techniques. So fun. And there's all these motifs in the back that you can use to carve rubber stamps um, with, or to get you started. So, um, so it sounds like did Lark come to you and say? you know, your stamps are gorgeous. Let's do a book or how did it come about? Yeah. They just wrote to me out of the blue and with this name, making an impression. And at the beginning, I didn't know they wanted a stamp book. I thought just making an impression was like the general title for just crafts that I could make. I, they weren't very specific about making stamps. I, at the beginning, I thought I would, I would be able to do anything, embroidery or whatever. So I was a little sad when they told me that the book was going to be about uh, stamp carving because I thought, hmm, that's just limiting me so much because I could do so much, so many other things. But then they managed to convince me that we could do a lot of things with just the stamps. So many different projects. They encouraged me to do embroidery and incorporate all the other things that I wanted to do with the book. So at first I was terrified. I think I said no to them during for a whole year. That I really liked the idea, but that I was so nervous that I didn't want to do it. Because I knew it was going to be really time consuming. Because also... I had to do all the photography for the book and the step-by-steps, and I had never done something like that. But they ended up convincing me. I had a really great editor that was, uh, she always had very flattering words. (laughs) So she ended up convincing me to do the book. And I did it over the course of one year when we were living in Querétaro in Mexico. And how was the experience in the end? It was great. It was uh, nerve-wracking. It was a lot of pressure because of the times. Even though a year sounds like a lot, I was so busy during that year doing my own things with Etsy and Gallison. And I licensed a bunch of stuff that, that year, and it was a lot of work, a lot of work. I also did a workshop during that time, and... But it was great because I had control over everything and I'm sort of a control freak. So not sort of, I am a terrible control freak. (laughs) So I really like being able to take the pictures and the lighting and everything. Um, Um, I'm guessing given how popular your illustrations are that you get offered all sorts of other opportunities that kind of come to you. The Gallison one came to you, this Lark uh, book came to you, and I'm guessing other things come as well. Yeah. And I wondered what you say yes to and what you say no to and how you know when you should say yes. It's usually just a gut feeling. It's it's a gut feeling because I do get a lot of proposals for other books and stuff, and it's a gut feeling. It's also the time. I have to be very mindful of how I use my time because, for example, now that we're here in the U.S., our sole um, 
the money that we're getting is only from my work right now. So I really have to think about that before I say yes to something. And at the beginning, I would say yes to a lot of things just to get the exposure. But now that I don't need as much exposure, I think about other stuff. If I'm really going to enjoy doing it and things like that and how much control I'm going to have over the project. Mm -hmm. And have you said, accidentally said yes to things that later you regret saying yes to? Uh, So many times. (laughs) Like, why did I do this? And it's been hard. It's hard to work and still come up with something beautiful because I know it's going to be my work there for a long time in that book or whatever. So I always give it my all anyways. But I have regretted saying yes many times. I've never regretted saying no, though, Uh thankfully. That's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I um, think my my gut is good at discerning on the no something that I'm not gonna enjoy. Mm-hmm. It's harder, yeah. It's harder when when you say yes, and, and then you do really have to, as you said, you have to you have to um, create something because it's got your name on it, even if exactly. you don't want to. Exactly. Hard. So I want to talk about Etsy a little bit. You opened your Etsy shop in 2007 in June, and yes. You maintain it as a place where you sell prints, Mm -hmm. but then you have your own shop on Big Cartel where you sell originals. And I've seen a lot of artists do that where they, the higher priced original artwork is on their own shop and then Etsy is sort of the lower price uh, prints of the originals. And um, I just wonder why you decided to stay on Etsy and not, not leave Etsy. I mean, you certainly have a following large enough that you could have left, but you're still there. Um, and sort of why separate out these two types of products? Yeah, Etsy's like a little well-oiled machine. That's what I call it, a little well-oiled machine because it sells on its own. I've been there for so long and the treasuries and everything works so well that I have I do no work in my Etsy shop. It sells completely on its own. The big cartel shop is more... Um, I have to do more maintenance there. I have to mention it more to my fans for them to go there. If I don't mention it at all, nobody goes to my big cartel shop. And Etsy, I don't worry about it. And it, I just have the two of them because of the fees, I think. The fees that I have to pay. If something is more expensive, I figure that I'm going to get the whole profit for myself if I sell it on Big Cartel. So that's why I keep my originals there and the higher price stuff. Just because of the fees that they collect from the sales. Because Big Cartel doesn't collect fees. They just, uh, you just pay a monthly fee. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter how much you sell or the quantity or how much money. And you, you, besides selling what you make um you also collect beautiful things and i think of everyone that i follow online you stand out in that you are not afraid to buy rather sometimes sometimes expensive sometimes not expensive but Mm -hmm. you're not you're not afraid to put some money behind buying something handmade 
and buying something that you think is beautiful. Um, and you often will photograph, you know, I bought this tote bag, I bought this plant, I, you know, yeah, I, I bought yeah. all these different things that you've bought. And, um, and I, I love that. Like, I think it encourages people to say like, you know, she did, she spent $60 on this, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and it is beautiful and it's clearly enhancing her life. And I just thought maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Well, I also appreciate that some, when something is handmade, because I, I hand make a lot of things. We haven't talked about clay, but I'm in a little romance with pottery right now. But now that I'm doing pottery, I appreciate it even more. When I find something that I really like, I go for it and I buy it because I really love surrounding myself with pretty things. Uh, I really appreciate beauty and the joy that it brings to you. I'm reading a book uh, about uncluttering. People think that I, I live a very uncluttered life, but actually I have so much stuff. And every time we move, I get rid of so much stuff that collecting now has to be more selective. Uh-huh. I have to like cut down on buying a lot of stuff, but concentrating on buying really stuff that I love. And that's what I've been doing. I've been collecting a lot of pottery from other friends. I buy a lot of stuff from my friend Aruna. I'm, I'm a huge fan of her. Uh, bags and everything that she sells. I'm a, I'm a living display of her bags. <laughs> Not one day goes by that I don't use her stuff. And I just like buying from my friends. I, I really enjoy having stuff from them. I don't always buy things. I sometimes trade with other artists, which I think is my favorite to trade with somebody. And I really, uh, I think my mom, I inherited this from my mom, just being a decorator. I just love decorating and doing little wall displays and just having beautiful things helps a lot. Yeah. And um, it's also great for sharing. So it lends yes, itself exactly. to that as well. And when you update your shops, whether it's the Etsy shop or, or even more especially the big cartel shop, how do you let people know? I mean, you said first for the big cartel shop in particular, you have to let people know, otherwise they yeah. don't visit. So do you have a mailing list or are you using just Instagram uh, and Facebook? I'm just using, yeah, I'm just using Facebook and Instagram. And what I do is I'll tell them uh, next Monday I'm going to do a shop update. Okay, so, so they have some warning and you're going to exactly. do a big update. So, you know, it's not That's going what I to do. be a trickle. It's going to be a, a big splash. Yeah, exactly. And I alternate it. Sometimes I do my leather work or ceramics, and then I do originals, like watercolors. So I'm always changing things up of what I'm selling. And they, I don't, they sell yeah, I don't like, mix them. Yeah. They, okay. So it's one category. And then they exactly. sell out like instantaneously. I mean, I feel like they're gone. <laughs> they're gone. I know because like, people are waiting them because they sell so fast that a lot of people are not able to catch something that they like. So whenever they get the opportunity again, they just snatch it up because they know they go fast. Right, 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 right. Okay. So they just but it's, it's been working really well to do it like that. In batches. Not, yeah, and not to overwhelm them with doing updates too often. Uh-huh. Like I, I, let, I let probably like a month and a half or two between 
my shop updates okay. on Bay Cartel. And you also, I think, do a really nice job showing people the personalization that they're going to get when they get a package from you. Oh, where, yeah. You know, you'll show <laughs> like, here's the, you know, the bag that it's going to go in and, you know, you're sitting and um, stamping the bag and, and decorating or drawing on, yeah. on the packaging. And I think that even just, I mean, doing that is wonderful in and of itself, but showing people that you're doing that is even better. I think I think a lot of people buy because of that. A lot of people because they know that they're going to get something really special in the mail. I pour my heart out on every order. I spend a lot of time decorating each envelope and card and I I give postcards in every order. So people know that they're going to get something that really I put some thought into it in my heart, and I did it by hand also. So for me, that's been super important always. I remember being in architecture studying, and my presentations were always the ones that got more attention because I really invested time in making it beautiful looking. Mm-hmm. So I think they, they, they really appreciate it. A lot of people have written to me saying that they even – frame the envelope, which I think is crazy, but they really liked it. So yeah, well, I think that that's an important thing for people to hear. Like that's part of the strategy to a certain degree. And if you're going to invest the time, then show people, you know, this is what I do. This is my signature way of, of packaging and of caring for each customer. And this is what you get when you buy from me. It's different from what you get elsewhere. And packaging is so important. Mm -hmm. Packaging. For me, packaging, I I buy stuff all the time because of the packaging. Mm -hmm. So I think the package has to be worthy of what's inside Mm -hmm. for sure. Okay. That's a good point. So I want to make sure we get to your recommendations. And I have one recommendation this week uh, as well. So um, cool. Yeah. So one of the, you've got some great um, supplies to recommend, which I know people are curious about. Yes. They always ask me the same (laughs) questions. So we'll help answer (laughs) some of those same questions. One of them was the type of acrylic inks that you prefer. Yeah, I discovered, I started, I think, using India ink, white India ink or China ink. I don't know what it what it's called, but when I discovered the acrylic inks, it was amazing because they are so opaque and they come in liquid form, which is very stable. So whenever I do all my detail work, I use the acrylic inks. That's how I detail. This brand is called Daler Rownie FW. Yeah. And those, so when we see like the white little dots or feathers, that's that's what what we're seeing. Okay. Sometimes if if I'm in a hurry, I'll just use the white from my watercolors, but it's not as good as the acrylic. The opacity of the acrylic inks. And have you played with gouache at all? I'm just curious. Um it's funny that you mention it because now I'm starting to get curious about it. And my husband just bought himself some tubes because he, he says that he's going to start painting, <laughs> which he hasn't, but I am not losing hope, but I am getting curious about wash because I use my watercolors almost like washes. Mm-hmm. It's something very similar and I've never used wash before. So I haven't used start. it either, but I, I, it just reminded me in that 
people describe it as watercolor yeah. that's opaque, which is why I thought of it. Um, so I'll be interested to see if you do get a, a chance yeah. to play with them, what you think. Um, and then you also recommend a certain kind of panel, aquaboard clay panels for the watercolors. Yeah, I just discovered those instead of using, I, I still use paper a lot, but I just discovered these panels. They're covered in some sort of clay and they, they're made specifically for watercolors. And it's just fun to be able to paint on something that does not uh, warp at all. It's completely flat. And the way that they take the watercolors is very different because it's super absorbent and it doesn't stay wet very long. So it's a, a little bit different than working with paper, but it's very fun. Um, I did, the latest thing that I did was Turbo's portrait after he passed. Which I made a portrait beautiful. of him. Beautiful, absolutely. Thank you beautiful. so much. I did stunning. it with so much love that I think that's what's oh my coming gosh. through. Yeah, so you guys have to go see this. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I cried a lot. I can while tell. I, was I mean, it's really. <laughs> It's so the, the the way the eyes look. I mean, it's just so heartfelt. It's really beautiful. Yeah. So I decided to do it in the aqua board because it was a big. I wanted to do something much larger than what I'm used to, and just having the support of the the backing of that board is really good. And I really like it. I really like the way that it absorbs the watercolors and. It makes very interesting textures. They're a little bit more expensive. So they're probably, you know, even watercolor mm-hmm. paper is kind of expensive though. But I think in framing, you're, you're, oh, right. it's making up for the frame. Right. Because like a canvas, you don't need a frame. You can just put it up on the walls. Exactly. Is. Right. Exactly. So if you think about it this way, right. Okay. And you don't need, you don't need to protect it with a, mm. with the glass at all. Right. You can just hang it up. Yeah. Okay. Good so, point. Right. I think it's worth it mm-hmm. just to try it. And they, they come in all different sizes. I, I wasn't able to get them in Mexico, but now that I'm here, I'm buying a lot more mm-hmm. of the little ones. And it's really interesting. There There's so much stuff here in the U.S. Because when you're living in South America where there's not as much things available, you have to be more creative with whatever you have. But here in the U.S., there's so much so many possibilities and the stores here, the art stores are incredible. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, really sometimes for better and for worse, right? Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it can be overwhelming yeah. to, to just to see so much stuff. Yeah. And I think, you know, you can make beautiful things with very simple materials as well. So totally. you don't need any of the fancy things if you if you don't exactly. have them or can't afford them or just don't want to buy them. Um, Definitely. When I studied architecture in Chile, I remember the first year was always just using whatever we have. And in Chile, we didn't have much. So we did everything with very little materials. And people get really creative with when they don't have access to so much diversity of materials. Yeah. So I think that helped me a lot in Mm -hmm. in becoming more creative Mm -hmm. when you limit yourself. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Limitations are the key. Mm -hmm. 
Um, okay, one final, well, before I do your final recommendation, I'm going to do mine and then I'll come back to yours. Sure. So I just want to recommend a book that I've been really enjoying and you might like it too. I, I don't know if you knit at all, but, um, I do, I have okay. a lot of knitting books. Okay. So you might like this one. So I don't know how to knit, but I still like this book. Um, it's called the yarn whisperer and it's by Clara parts. It's not a project book. It's a book about life with yarn um, like reflections yeah. on making and stories. She is a beautiful writer. Um, it is reminiscent in my mind to Heather Ross's book, How to Catch a Frog, which is also about reminiscing on life as a creative person and as a maker and um, also a beautiful writer. So I recommend both of them, really. Um, but The Yarn Whisperer, for me, is really great in that, as I mentioned, I'm not a knitter, but I did um, set a goal for... 2015 to learn more about the yarn industry. And so it's been good for me to sort of hear how people think about knitting and what it is about knitting that is so appealing and what it is about the raw materials used that, you know, it seems so incredibly uh, like addictive and sort of becomes part of your life that you never want to part with. Um, Mm -hmm. And this book really expresses that. So I recommend, uh, I recommend it. The Yarn Whisperer by Clara Parks. It's good. I'm going to check them out for sure. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautifully written. She's such a good writer. Um, Okay. So we're going to return back to you. You have one final recommendation, which is the type of watercolor pans that you use. Yes, that's, I think that's the most asked question that I get. <laughs> what watercolors are you using? The colors are so bright. <laughs> but I don't think the brightness of the watercolors has anything to do with the brand. I think it just, I, I use them in a very concentrated form. or so very similar to wash. That, that's why I think I get those colors. But the brand that I mostly used now is a pan that I got a few years ago. I still have it. It's from Schminke. It's a German brand. And the pan that I have is 48 little, they're not half pans. Well, yeah, they're half pans because the regular pans are double the size. So what I'm doing now when I, when I run out of a color is buying a tube and I just put some more inside the pan and let it dry. But I really like this brand. I just got used to it. Before, I used to be a Cotman girl from Windsor and Newton. But just looking at all the colors at once in that pan, just it did it for me. <laughs> and I get very inspired by color. So just looking at my watercolor palette, I I get very inspired. And do people ask you about brushes when they ask you about the watercolor set? Yes, always. Do you want to answer the brush question? Just yes. For the <laughs> I do a lot of detailed work. So I use a lot of liner brushes. Liner brushes are very thin and round. They're almost like pencils, I would say. They give you very a lot of control in the flow of the watercolor. It, it doesn't hold a lot of water. It's not like the chunkier brushes. So for detailed work, they work very well. That's what I use to do all my details. And I'm very used to a brand that was, it's almost like a non-brand they sold in Mexico. Uh, these were... 
the ones that I use the most came from a little set that was for painting miniatures. It's a tiny, tiny liner brush. And I haven't been able to find the exact same one. So I bought a whole bunch of them in Mexico. But as soon as I run out of them, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm probably going to go back to Mexico to get more brushes. Or at least have a friend send them to you. Yeah. Yes, because it's the length also that is very important how long the the liner brush tip is the brush the actual brush this one is not very long so for it's it's easier to control mm -hmm. so very, for all very, the white very tiny and very short and very sharp and yeah sharp okay very very sharp that's right. how i get all my white lines okay so those are some tips for people looking for a brush who aren't going to find that one but maybe could find a brush made from painting miniatures that look like exactly that. Mm -hmm. exactly or just a very small liner brush mm -hmm. the smallest one you can find okay and i use round brushes usually um synthetic i use synthetic brushes for watercolors the thicker ones and i always use round ones mm -hmm. i've never I've never actually tried using flat brushes for watercolors, mm -hmm. okay. but that's what I use. That's what I use the most. Okay. Good to know. And, um, and for people who want to start following you online or check out what you're up to, or maybe even hear early about one of those shop updates, where, uh, where are you on Instagram and Facebook so that they can connect? Yeah, you, the, the best place to be up to date to what I'm doing, it would be Facebook. And in Facebook, I'm Janine's Art. That's where you'll find me. And in Instagram, I'm just at Janine. Okay. G-E-N-I-N-N-E. -N -N -E. I was going to say, let's spell Janine because it's I know. My, my dad wanted to be creative with my name and he added all those extra N's. <laughs> Sometimes I tell my friends, I wish my name was Juanita or something like that. I don't know. Something more simple. <laughs> but I really like my name. Oh, good. Yes, it's a beautiful name and it does have many ends. So. Yes. <laughs> the, trick, the trick is to know that the double ends are after the I. Got it. It's funny because there's another Janine at Gmail, but with the ends before the I, with the double ends before the I. And she has been really great because a lot of people write to her and she'll just bump the, the emails to me. And she's super nice. She's like, Janine, you get so many nice mails. I wish I was getting them, but here they are. <laughs> I've never met her, but if I did, I would give her a big hug. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Janine, it has been great talking to you. Thank you so much for oh, taking the too, time to be on Abby. the podcast. Thank you so much. My first podcast. I'm really happy it was with you. Yay. I hope I do many more. I hope so too. It's so it good was to fun. hear your voice. So you've been listening to the Walsh Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg, and I invite you to visit my blog, walshynaps.com, where you'll find helpful information for creative entrepreneurs, as well as tutorials and patterns for making stuffed animals and dolls. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time. Today's podcast episode was sponsored by Brindle and Twig. Visit brindletwig.com for adorable sewing patterns for children aged newborn to 6T, plus the fabrics to sew them up with. Give the pattern a try. You'll be supporting a small business and supporting this podcast at the same time. Thank you so much.